When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seib, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and happy Prime Day if you're observing the holiday today. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including some issues with the Raspberry Pi 4, some Facebook problems with the FTC, Google has an assistant leak, uh, some of its audio made its way to the press, we'll explore that. There's a new Switch Lite coming out, I'm going to talk about why I finally just gave up on the Valve Index VR headset that's been driving me crazy over the last two weeks, I'll explain the whole process from the last time I updated you on it a little bit later. We're also going to be talking about the end of the Creators Guild, which was designed to be a YouTube creator labor union. That didn't quite work out, and I'll offer some thoughts as to why I think it was going at it the wrong way. And we'll also take a look at some fake flash drives that are popping up on a lot of different popular e-commerce platforms like Amazon, eBay, and others, and whether or not these platforms should bear some responsibility for essentially fraudulent products being offered to unsuspecting customers. Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel, and we've got a lot to thank this week. Uh, First, we've got Chris Allegretta coming back as a gold-level supporter, so I want to thank him for his support. Uh, Michael Swider is here with a donor box contribution. Arturo Hofstadt-Yerusha, I believe that's how his name is pronounced, is our newest Patreon supporter. We also had a bunch of super chatters last week on the premiere of the wrap-up, including Josiah Guernsey, Martin Paoloni. Uh, we also had Carol Cherminsky, Smoke Monster, the one and only, uh, Dale Marcel, Rube Sarkar, and Rockstar Bruski. I want to thank everyone for their contributions this week to the channel and everyone who's contributed on an ongoing basis and all of you who watch on an ongoing basis too because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but it is Prime Day, so I figured I would pop my affiliate link up here for all of you to check out. Now, if you have an Amazon Prime account, you can get access to these deals. If you don't, click on the link there, and you can sign up for an Amazon Prime account trial, and that will get you into the deals for the next two days. This runs July 15th and 16th. And I wanted to jump over to the live website here just to show you some tips for navigating things. Now, in the past, I found that it's often difficult to sift through the good stuff from all the junk, and now they've got... Uh, some segmentation here that makes it a little bit easier. So for example, if we wanted to find just the top brands, I can click on that little donut looking thing there, and that will bring me to a page that just has major brands, and I can drill down further, for example, into electronics and see what the deals are looking like there. You can even sort by price and other things as well. So that was a, a helpful way to find, again, some of the better stuff versus some of the random things that pop up. If you're looking for Amazon devices, they've got that segmented out here as well. Another thing to look at, though, is just searching inside of your Amazon search bar. You can go here to Prime Day, and for example, if I search for a virtual reality headset, um, it will just look within, i got to spell it right, of course, uh, it will just look within Prime Day deals for VR headsets. So for example, you can get a good deal on the Oculus Go today and the HTC Vive Pro, which is still rather pricey, even at the Prime Day price, but still it's out there at a better price than usual, and you can do that for just about anything else. 
Uh, there's also a way that you can search for upcoming deals too, so you can set little reminders to、uh, let you know when those lightning deals are available. Let's check that out. So if we jump back to the home screen here and let's look at maybe some deals under 25 bucks this time. And then if we scroll down on the left-hand side of the screen, you'll see that you have the availability section, and you can clear this out and just have it show you what's coming up. So if I click on upcoming,、uh, you can get a feel for all this stuff that's on the horizon. We can drill it down further, maybe, and say, I just want to see upcoming Blu-ray and DVD deals. And then if there's something that I'm really into that I want to get notified about when the deal goes live, I can click on Watch This Deal. And if you have the Amazon app on your phone, it will push a notification out to you when that deal is live, so you can know to get into it. I did this a couple of years ago to buy my television over there at a really good price, and that's a good way to get reminded as to when、uh, those items are available at that special price. So hopefully those tips are helpful for navigating Prime Day. There's often a lot of stuff to sift through. And in our Q and A for you this week, I would love to hear what deals you snagged、uh, during the sale down below in the comment section. Now this week on the channel, we looked at a bunch of stuff on the extras. We unboxed the Lenovo Legion Y540 gaming laptop, and we also unboxed the DS419 Slim Mini NAS from Synology. And we'll have a review, hopefully, of both of those items a little bit later this week. On the main channel, I gave you a tour of my living room gaming PC setup. It's actually working out quite well because I can use my computer on a desk in one part of the room and then have the signal、uh, beamed over an HDMI to fiber optic cable to my television on the other side of the room, and it's been a great balance of those two activities. It's been working quite well.、Uh, a lot of you like that video, actually. It's gotten more views than me unboxing the box of junk from ThinkGeek, which was my Uh, most popular subscriber video of the year, so this one has surpassed that.、Uh, so I want to thank you all. It looks like you like watching these videos where we kind of put all the things I've been reviewing together in an actual real use scenario, and that's a great example of that. I'll think about some more things that I can do in that area in the near future.、Uh, we also reviewed the Lenovo Flex 14, which is a more entry level yoga device. They've got a bunch of different configurations. It runs from like 500 bucks to 1200, so you have a lot of different options for that. Uh, you can see a review of one that's kind of in the mid-range in that video. All those will be linked, by the way, down below in the master playlist. I also bought my kids a Logitech crayon for their $250 iPads, and it's been working quite well. You can check out my review of that. And this week was a big week for those of you with Fire TV devices、uh, because YouTube officially is now on some of the Fire TV sticks and boxes. Not all of them. I've got a list of which ones it does work with in that video. Uh, and you can now also Chromecast from your Prime Video app on your phone, and that's a big one, especially for those of us who use Chromecasting quite a bit. You can finally do it、uh, with Amazon Prime Video. A big week for consumers for sure. Now there are a bunch of news items that caught my eye this week. The first one is a sad story about the MacBook 12-inch. This one here. Remember last week we were talking about how much we loved this computer. Well, a day later, Apple discontinued it. It is off the market essentially. You can still buy them, of course, until they run out. But that is it for the MacBook 12. My hope is that this form factor will return as an ARM-based device because I really like the lightweight. Uh, small form factor of this computer, like I talked about last week, and the MacBook Air is much bigger than this and a little bit heavier. This thing is just great, and I just love it. And it's really depressing to hear that、uh, they're not going to be making any more of them for the foreseeable future. But again, I do think ARM is on the horizon, and ARM is a really good target for a small and lightweight form factor Mac. So we'll take a look at that if it ever comes out. 
Uh, another big story, though, involves the Raspberry Pi 4. Uh, Benson Lung is a Google employee uh, who does a lot of work with USB-C. And a couple of years ago, when USB-C devices started popping up, uh, Benson was the one who started noting that a lot of manufacturers of cables and connectors were cutting corners and not doing things properly that could put expensive computers at risk as a result. And he's been very good about pointing out uh, both the good and the bad that's out there in USB-C world. And he found a major issue with the way that the Raspberry Pi 4 was designed. Uh, he found this out, of course, because the Pi 4 design is open source. The hardware plans are available. You can download them and take a look for yourself. And apparently they designed their own USB-C circuit versus following what the USB-C standard calls for. And as a result, if you have advanced cables that have e-marker chips to determine uh, whether or not they're being plugged into the right thing, uh, those advanced cables like the Apple cables will not work with the Raspberry Pi 4. You have to use some of the cheaper cables with the Pi 4. So just be aware of that. If you are waiting for your Pi 4 as I am, when it arrives, you definitely need to uh, get a less expensive cable apparently to power it because the higher end cables will not work because of the design choices that they made. You can read more about the Pi 4 issue with the link you see on screen. And there were a pair of security vulnerabilities impacting Apple products this week. Uh, the first involved the very popular Zoom conferencing software. Uh, this is something where if you had a conference call with somebody and they wanted you to see their screen while they talked to you, uh, they would send you a link, you would click on the link. A lot of times you'd be forced to install some software from Zoom to do that call and then you would go on from there. And this is often a friction point when you have these conference calls because not everybody's so good at installing software. And Zoom decided they would make it easier by installing a little web server on the computer that you're conducting the call with so that future calls would be easier to implement. And of course, that uh, little web server had a bunch of vulnerabilities in it, uh, including uh, the potential to expose the camera on the Mac without the user's permission. You could set up a little website and have somebody go to that site and you could immediately pull up that camera using that little web server that they installed on your Mac. And the worst part was is that server would stay resident even after the Zoom software was removed. And some security researchers had spent some time with this. They notified Zoom. Zoom did not act quickly enough to deal with the situation, so they made it public. And then a couple of days later, Apple said, you know what, we're just going to fix it ourselves. And they have uh, basically added some code to their uh, security system that runs in the background of Mac OS, and it will remove that little web server automatically without the user even knowing about it. Apple will do this from time to time. They have some background security processes that when there's some big vulnerability, they can just go in and just take it off of every single Mac that has Mac OS X on it. It even updates itself without going through the normal software update process. It just does that in the background. Uh, so Apple has uh, instituted that plan. I'm guessing that's kind of a last resort for them, but they have uh, included now the Zoom software uh, in that activity. And I have been invited to Zoom calls before, uh, what I usually opt to do is use their web client, which is not as full-featured, I guess, as the one that gets installed on your computer, but I much prefer to use that one because it doesn't install anything, and I'm always really nervous about installing that conferencing software because I don't know what it's doing when it does get installed, and here's a good reason why you should be careful about that in the future. And Apple has disabled their walkie-talkie feature on the Apple Watch because of a potential vulnerability there. 
I use the walkie-talkie feature quite a bit with my wife because it's faster than a phone call and easier to do when your hands are full. You can just hit a little button on the phone and have a uh, walkie-talkie-like conversation with somebody no matter where they are. It's one of the features I covered in my Apple Watch review, which I'll put down below in the master playlist. And they've disabled this, unfortunately, uh, because apparently there was a way in which uh, somebody could eavesdrop on an iPhone without the permission of that person. That's, of course, a big problem. So the walkie-talkie will not work until Apple works out whatever this issue is. And I'm guessing we'll probably have to install a new watch OS update to get it back. It's inconvenient for me, but probably good in the long run here that they're taking a proactive approach. This apparently has not appeared yet in the wild, but Apple didn't want it to, so they've just disabled that feature across the board for everyone. And the Federal Trade Commission has approved its largest fine ever, $5 billion, that's with a B, and that fine is being imposed upon Facebook over their privacy practices. This goes back to the 2016 election Uh, where they allowed third parties to access very private user information for the purposes of ad targeting. Uh, This was apparently in violation of Facebook's privacy policies that came out of a 2011 settlement with the FTC over similar issues, and it looks like the commission has just had enough. Now, the commission's vote was apparently three to two, uh, with the two Democrats on the FTC board opposing it because they wanted to see a more wholesale regulation of Facebook's internal practices. Uh, That was rejected by the majority Republican members on the board. Uh, The FTC will nonetheless have some oversight here moving forward. They're going to re-review Facebook's practices. What happens a lot of times in these cases is that they assign an auditor to make sure that they're following these practices as time goes on here. And clearly with $5 billion now, they'll have plenty of money to pay for all of the oversight that they will be uh, imposing upon the company here as things move forward. So this is a big deal, uh, but it falls short of more extensive regulation, which some in Congress would like to see, given uh, just how big this is becoming. Uh, Now, Facebook, for its part, uh, makes a lot of money, and actually, it's probably not going to be all that painful for them to pay this fine. Uh, So just in the last quarter of 2018, uh, they brought in almost $17 billion in revenue, and the net profit on that revenue Uh, was well over $6 billion. So this is just a good chunk of their fourth quarter profits that they retained after expenses. That's a pretty significant amount of money that they made, and it's crazy that this fine can be paid uh, without a significant uh, detriment to the company's ongoing operations here. It just shows you how much they make. Uh, One thing of note here from the CNBC story on their uh, 2018 quarterly earnings Uh, was that each user is worth about $7.37 to the company. And it looks like the value of those users went up 21% over the prior quarter. And I'm guessing a lot of their success in the fourth quarter of 2018 came from the election here in the U.S. Political advertising is a big deal on Facebook. They make a ton of money on it. And just like TV stations, they all do very well in the last quarter of an election year because that's when all of those ads are running. Uh, But this does give you a sense as to how much money they're making, how much this fine will actually hurt the company, and how much you are worth to them. And Google might be in some hot water themselves. A subcontractor who was working on Google voice recognition leaked about a thousand different Google Home recordings to Vert News in Belgium. Uh, You can read the whole story linked here on screen. They have an English version of the article as well. And what this publication did was listen to the recordings and then sought out the people who had made them 
Uh, and these folks, of course, had no idea that their personal information from their Google assistant was making its way to a subcontractor who then turned over the recordings to the media. It's kind of scary that they're uh, allowing that data to flow so freely out of their uh, servers, but that's exactly what happened here. And this is just another example as to why you really need to understand the implications sometimes of having one of these devices in your home. Now, these devices, of course, are not always listening, but they often accidentally hear the trigger word and start recording. And out of the thousand or so recordings that Burton News listened to, uh, several hundred of them were the result of an accidental recording that these employees nonetheless had access to. So I'm really concerned here that Google is just turning over data to third parties that have uh, less data security in this case than uh, the Google mothership has, and you should all be aware of that. Now you can go into your Google history and look up all the prior voice commands that you have had your assistant handle for you. And one thing that I discovered was that when it had an accidental trigger like this one, I don't have access to that recording at all, but clearly somebody at Google does if Vert News here was able to get it from that contractor. So just keep these things in mind if you are using uh, these voice assistants. This is true not only of Google, but also of Amazon and others who are doing these voice things because they're constantly trying to hear uh, examples of things that didn't go right so they can fix it in the future. And this is an example of what happens when uh, that data gets out. Now, if you want to review what Google's got on you, you can go to myactivity.google.com and you can go through and see uh, what recordings it has made on your behalf. But even erasing it from here doesn't mean it goes away, as we just saw from that vert story. So just keep all these things in mind. And it's kind of scary when you dig into this site how much stuff they've got on you. So every YouTube video you've watched, every news article that you've read, every website that you have visited, anything that you're doing on a Google product is going into this list and you can filter it out by date and activity and it's all just sitting in there. And you can imagine that if you ever get yourself into trouble, uh, the government's going to subpoena all of that and have a very good history as to not only where you've been, but what you've done and what you're thinking too. We're just sending it all away uh, into these servers here. And what's crazy about our uh, real dystopian future here is that we've all just done it voluntarily uh, but I think these days of just unrestricted data collection are slowly coming to an end. And this is one way to see exactly the extent as to how much of our private information is now uh, potentially available to others. Pretty scary stuff, and you can see for yourself on the link on screen. But you know what? We can still play some games to take our minds off of the craziness that is the 21st century. Uh, Nintendo has a new Switch coming out called the Switch Lite. Uh, but it doesn't switch like the other Switch does, which allows you to play on a TV or in handheld mode. This is strictly a handheld device. It costs about $100 less than the regular Switch. So for folks that uh, didn't want to spend 300 bucks and didn't need the TV out capability, uh, this might be a good solution. It also doesn't have rumble on it either. It's not that much smaller, though. I was expecting them to try to come up with something a little bit tinier. Uh, it's got a 5.5-inch screen versus 6.2-inch on the regular Switch uh, no video out again, no rumble, and you can see the price difference there. Uh, so it'll be pretty cool. I, I don't think I'm going to get one, though. I'm pretty happy with my existing Switch. I do use it on the television quite a bit, and this new one isn't small enough for me to really warrant uh, getting it as a second device. I'm also not sure about how Nintendo is going to handle syncing save game files between devices. Uh, so right now with their online service, you can back up to their cloud, but it's really not a real-time synchronization kind of thing. 
Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how well uh, multiple switches will interact with a single user. And I'm sure we'll find out in September when this comes out. And the Internet Creators Guild is shutting down this week after four years of operation. Uh, this was started by Hank Green, who's a very uh, respected creator. He's got the SciShow channel, for example, and also was the founder of VidCon. He was hoping to create kind of a labor union uh, to represent independent creators and uh, create some kind of large group that could collectively bargain against the big platforms like YouTube and Twitch and others. But they really had a hard time gaining any traction and gaining any kind of financial stability. Uh, they were asking for a membership fee of $60 a year. And the problem that I had with it was that they could never communicate the things that they were doing on behalf of the membership. I never joined it. Uh, but one of the things that they indicated in their sign-off letter here is that they couldn't actually talk about the positive results that they had because they agreed to a non-disclosure agreement, essentially, with the platforms. And it limited their ability to be transparent and demonstrate value to the membership. And really, for me, like when you're looking at a labor union, you, you really want your union to be adversarial to management or to a studio or to a platform in this case. You don't want them working collaboratively necessarily. You can develop collaborative relationships, but the foundation of the uh, relationship between the two organizations is adversarial and needs to be that way. Here, they didn't really go about it in that fashion. And as a result, they couldn't communicate what exactly they were doing on behalf of members, even to those who were paying the fee. Uh, so that was a problem. So in order for this guild to have any kind of teeth, you would probably need, I don't know, about 75, 85, 90% of all of the YouTube creators to be on board and paying their membership dues. You would need every single big name creator to agree to do that for sure. And everyone would have to agree to be ready and willing to go on strike and pull all their videos down and stop earning revenue for the platform should such an action be necessary. Uh, I don't think that would ever happen. You can't get creators to, to row in the same direction for anything, let alone uh, something of this magnitude. So I just didn't see it being all that realistic. But my biggest gripe with the organization is that they did not elect their board from the membership. The board was appointed by whoever founded the organization, and then the board would go out and find new people to appoint to it over time. But the members who were paying the dues uh, had no role in electing their leadership. And ultimately, you need elections in groups like this to determine the strategy and path that they will take uh, especially when you've got a group that wants to build itself as an adversary to big platforms. And as a result of this, because the board wanted to be cohesive and all get along, uh, you ended up with a board that also wanted to get along with their adversary. And as a result, they couldn't communicate what they were doing to the membership and couldn't get any more members to join because everybody just wanted to get along. And sometimes you need a little bit of tension on a group to move things forward. And it's very uncomfortable and it's not fun, but... I think there are legitimate issues out there that we creators deal with every day that a collective group could very effectively advocate for. And unfortunately, the way they structured this organization, it did not allow for that. And ultimately, I think that is what did it in. And I wanted to bring you up to date on my Valve Index VR headset. Uh, here it is in the box going back to the Valve mothership. I decided to just return it for a refund and thankfully they agreed to give me one. Uh, so I had a couple of issues with the headset and the controllers. The headset had a jelly vision kind of thing to it. When I was turning my head back and forth, uh, rectangles would get a bit distorted, similar to what you would see on a digital SLR camera when it's uh, moving too fast. Uh, the controllers also had an issue with the thumbsticks not clicking properly, and they would engage at weird times, like if you pushed the controller all the way forward, it would just automatically teleport you wicked fast. 
uh, because the actuation inside of that control stick wasn't working properly. So those were the two big hardware issues I had. Uh, the customer service issues were another issue uh, and that it took them quite a while to get back to me on my problems. And uh, thankfully, when they did, it started getting better uh, once I had somebody assigned to my particular problems. So what they ended up doing initially was sending me another headset to try out to see if there was something optically wrong with the one that I had. And as it turns out, optically, there is nothing wrong with the headset, at least as far as I can tell, because the new one they sent had the same exact distortion problem that uh, this one had. And I think it might just be the way my eyes and head are configured. I put out a post on the Reddit virtual reality page just to see if other people have had problems. Uh, the best response that I got was from uh, this person, Budget Cuts Shill, who said that he or she had the same problem on their Oculus Quest. No matter how they adjusted it, they would still see distortion, uh, but they would not see that on their HTC Vive. Now, I have the Oculus Quest. I don't see it on my Quest at all, but this guy was seeing it quite a bit on his Quest. Uh, he doesn't get it, though, on his index, but I do. And I think this is the kind of stuff that might uh, relate to your individual biology. And perhaps some headsets may just not work for some people, as perhaps is the case here with the Valve Index. Um, I really had a hard time also finding the right word to describe the problem. Uh, and Budget Cut Shill here had spent some time researching it for his Quest problem, and it looks like geometric distortion or lack of geometric stability seems to be what this effect is called. And you can adjust it potentially with the vertical alignment of the headset, tilting it, doing the IPD, the eye relief. I did everything, including the eye relief that he was asking about here, and I could not get the issue to abate. Uh, some other people mentioned that the valve index has a dual lens setup and perhaps something with my eyes might just be interpreting this stuff a little bit differently than other people do. So whatever it is, the valve index just doesn't work with me. And I had a very hard time finding other people who had the same issue. I do hope that they get to the bottom of the controller problem because I was actually thinking about picking up the valve index controllers uh, for my existing HTC Vive that I decided to stick with now for at least the foreseeable future. I really like those controllers more so than the Vive controllers, and it does work with my HTC Vive setup already, so that was kind of a plus. So I think I'm going to wait for the controller issues to get resolved, and I'll probably buy those separately, uh, but I'm going to give up on the index here because I think it just doesn't work with me. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and our first question comes in from Craig Long who keeps seeing these cheap two terabyte flash drives popping up on eBay, and he was curious about whether or not they are any good. Now, if you want the too long didn't read on this, all of these cheap flash cards that you see that are running at two terabytes or thereabouts are total frauds, and unfortunately, there is a lot of them on eBay. Uh, so just on this listing that Craig pointed out, you'll find a lot of other fraudulent listings here. Uh, so here's one for eight bucks, two terabytes. Yeah, right. Uh, another one here, $3.51. That's the popular one. And when you dig into these listings, it all looks legit, right? You've got a seller here with a huge amount of positive feedback, 98.7%. Uh, very few negatives on their account, although they sell so much stuff, it's probably hard to uh, get enough of a negative rating here to make an impact on their overall profile. Uh, and this is an example of one that's selling for $9.78, supposedly two terabytes. They've sold well over 1,300 of them, according to eBay, which is kind of frightening, actually. Uh, but what these cards do is that they uh, basically trick your computer into thinking they are indeed a two terabyte device. It'll actually show up as two terabytes when you plug it in. 
but the reality is it may only have like 32 gigs or so on the card itself. So once you go beyond that 32, everything gets corrupted because it starts overwriting what was already there. And these are appearing on other platforms as well. Here's an example from one on Walmart, the same card we saw on eBay. But get this one. They've got 3.0, 2 terabyte flash drive in the image there. Uh, but the listing here has it at 32 gigabytes. So I wonder if maybe Walmart called them out on it and they just switched it to 32 in the title to be more accurate. The problem, though, is that when you get this thing, it's going to show up as 2 terabytes and you got to figure out when you hit that 32 gigabyte limit before your data gets corrupted. Uh, you're also going to find them on Amazon. Uh, this one costs a little bit more, but again, another fake thing from a fake seller. Uh, this one is even giving you Amazon Prime because Amazon is actually stocking it on behalf of that seller through their fulfillment program. So this stuff is out there everywhere. And this is just one type of product. There's a lot of other stuff out there that might be uh, a counterfeit or some other kind of dangerous device that these uh, platforms have largely just said, hey, we're not responsible for what people do. We'll take something down if it's really egregious, but we really just can't control it. So, you know, buyer beware. Uh, but I think they could be doing a little bit more. And apparently some courts agree with that. Uh, so there was an appeals court ruling uh, about a week or two ago where uh, Amazon and others can be held responsible for defective third-party goods uh, and what these platforms have been able to hide behind has been the DMCA, which is the same law that applies to me here on YouTube, and that I could upload some copyrighted piece of content, and so long as uh, YouTube takes down that content when the owner asks for it to be removed, uh, they're off the hook. And that's largely what Amazon and others have been saying about these marketplaces. But every state has a different definition of what defines a seller for actually selling physical goods to somebody. And in the case of this particular court ruling, uh, the appeals court ruled that, yes, Amazon does have protection against what is uh, done from an editorial standpoint as far as the words on screen. Uh, but when you're looking at uh, the actual negligence of the product safety, uh, there could be uh, some, some liability there because Amazon is an actor in the sales process and not just a publisher of content in this instance. And that would not give them the same protection. Uh, this lawsuit was brought up by a woman who had bought a a dog collar on Amazon. The collar failed because it was poorly manufactured from one of these Chinese companies. Uh, the collar broke and her retractable leash snapped back and uh, injured her eye to the point that her eye no longer worked. She went blind in an eye over this defective dog collar and her attorneys have been suing Amazon because they could not find the seller uh, that was selling it. They just disappeared off the face of the planet. Even Amazon couldn't find them to uh, try to get some relief here. So this might change things if uh, people end up with a claim and their state has a very you know, set definition about what a seller is in this instance. So we might see something happen here, but for now, buyer beware. I always make sure I buy things directly from Amazon when we've got something like a USB drive or a hard drive, for example. And I also try to stick to the name brands as well. Uh, there's a great video, though, that we're going to have as our pick of the week from Linus Tech Tips, who dives really deep into the subject. He shows you uh, how these cards work or really don't work, uh, the kinds of tricks that they're doing to make them look like they hold more storage than they can. And also some warnings about what goes on in some of these factories, because occasionally you can find a SanDisk card that was made on a SanDisk line, but was made after hours without all the quality control. And these counterfeiters are buying up these, these cards that came off the same line and selling them for less, a lot of times on Amazon, and sometimes making their way into devices that you might buy from China as well. So 
<laughs> lots of stuff to be concerned about just on these flashcards, and Linus's video here is a great way to learn more about it. And a real quick final question here from Tim Howard, uh, who is responding to my uh, living room gaming PC video, and he's talking about how sometimes the configuration to play games is as much of a game as the game itself is. And that has definitely uh, been the case with PC gaming throughout history. Uh, I started PC gaming in the early 90s, and back then, uh, you needed to actually have a separate boot disk to get the games to play because you had to do all this memory management to get enough memory for the game to actually boot up. Uh, here's an example from uh, the Wing Commander 2 installation guide here, uh, where it's talking about how much base memory that you have to make available for the uh, game to run in. And what you would have to do is uh, basically make a little floppy disk that would only load the drivers that were absolutely necessary for you to run the game and mixing out all the other stuff. So a lot of times I would be able to get my game working if I disabled the mouse driver, for example. So those are the kinds of things that you would have boot disks for. Uh, because what you had to do on DOS computers, even if you had like 8 megabytes of memory, uh, there was a 640K uh, RAM section that was really important for the game to run in. And if you had not enough in that 640K slot of RAM to get the game to work, you'd have a lot of problems with it. And a lot of time was spent configuring things to get stuff to work. And it was very challenging sometimes when you had a DOS CD-ROM game because you did have to load in a driver for the CD-ROM. And oftentimes you'd have to choose between the CD-ROM or the mouse. <laughs> it was really not an easy time to be a gamer, but I've certainly... I uh, enjoyed uh, sometimes getting things to work because it was an accomplishment when the game finally did boot up. But things are a little bit easier now, but as I'm finding with the VR stuff, it's getting complicated once again. But sometimes that's fun to just try to tweak things and get everything working the way you want. Now this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things we'll be looking at. I hope to take a look at that tiny little Synology NAS drive called the DS419 Slim. I also have been playing around a little bit with iPad OS, which is the new version of the iPad operating system. It's in a public beta, and we did the whole thing on the upstairs gaming computer and also how I'm using it as a game streaming device. Uh, now you can actually use your iPad as a decent streaming device because it supports PlayStation and Xbox controllers. And we'll take a look at how the Xbox One controller works with my iPad a little later this week. Uh, we're also going to be taking a look at a new gaming laptop from Lenovo, the one we unboxed on the Extras channel called the Y540 Legion. Uh, that one we'll be working on a little later today. And I also got in another one of these little retro emulation handhelds. This one's called the LDK Horizontal or Landscape. And it's a little bit better than the BitBoy we just looked at. So we'll take a look at this alternative if you've been trying to get one of these little tiny handhelds to run your 8 and 16-bit games and we'll probably have some other stuff, too. I definitely want to get to this Piper Command Center thing as a live stream. I think it'll be a lot of fun to uh, put together this Arduino-based game controller, which I picked up recently. So we'll uh, get to that when time allows. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel uh, with a credit card or PayPal. Uh, we also still support Patreon as well. And we, of course, do the YouTube membership and Super Chat thing, too. There's lots of ways you can help, and all of it is greatly appreciated. Uh, we also have my ongoing relationship with Plex, my favorite media serving application. Uh, you can try out Plex for free with no credit card required at lon.tv slash Plex, and we'll get a small commission for that. If you sign up for their premium Plex Pass service or gift it to somebody else, we will also get a commission for that, so definitely check it out if you've been meaning to. We have other channels that I do, including my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast at lon.tv slash podcast, which is an audio version of this show. 
Uh, we load that up later in the week, and it also appears on most major pod trackers. We have my Snippets channel, which has uh, bite-sized portions of this show that are more search-friendly, and every once in a while, one of them hits the algorithmic lottery, so we always like to bring up a little bit more life to this uh, show, and uh, that's a great way to keep the show going. Uh, we also have our live streams at lon.tv slash live streams, which are archives of my prior live streams that I've done here on the channel. Now, if you uh, like what I do, you can click on the notification bell to get notified every time I do something on the channel, whether I upload or go live or whatever. Uh, you can do that on all of my different channels. We also have my email list at lon.tv slash email, which we send out very infrequently. Uh, we have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, where we post a lot of the extras channel content. We also have my Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group, uh, which is now almost 700 people strong, and we get a lot of great discussions and show topics going in there, so I greatly appreciate uh, everyone who participates there because it really helps me out a lot, and it's great to see all of you connect with each other too. And then we've got the store where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of, and we have a store alert email that you can find at lon.tv slash store alert, and I send out an email every time I add something or change prices, and we got a bunch of stuff up there right now. We got more coming up there later this week, so keep checking there, but definitely sign up for the email also if you want to be notified right when stuff goes live, and that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued viewership and comments and criticism and all that good stuff. I greatly appreciate your support, and we'll be having another busy week here, bringing you more cool gadgets to check out. Until next time, this is Lon Sivan. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, emudev.org, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.